0: Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. I shared this summer, my wife and I are pregnant with our fourth child. Her name is is Lottie and uh, we found out she was a girl. And in fact, here's a picture of her in the womb, just 3D sano, little button nose. We found out about six weeks ago that there was some concerning markers on her heart. And that led us to going back and getting a high-resolution sonogram, where they discovered even more concerning news. And this past Tuesday, we sat in a hospital room, and we're told that there are significant issues with her brain and her heart, and they're consistent with. And I'm trying to get through this without getting emotional. I'm just going to take a seat with something called trisomy 13. Trisomy 13 is a chromosomal disorder that is incompatible with life. And we were told devastating news that you need to be prepared to bury your daughter. Shortly after she is born, she will go to be with Jesus and as you would imagine it was like it was like a bomb went off the scenes in the movies where a bomb goes off and everything there's the echo and the noise and everything feels like it's moving fast and slow at the same time and my wife as you would also imagine is just devastated hearing and praying for a miracle that her days will be longer than what they are telling us they will. And I share that for a couple of reasons. One, because we would love your prayers. And we're praying that God would do a miracle and seeking to trust him if he doesn't. And the other reason is because in Jonah chapter 3, there's an interesting connection And that we're going to see Jonah speaking to the nation, or to the city of Nineveh. And at the heart of his message is, your days are numbered. My daughter's days are numbered. The truth is, all of our days are numbered. And Jonah's message changes how the Ninevites live as an understanding that our days are numbered to change how all of us live. So I'm gonna pray, and I'd love your prayers just to get through this sermon candidly in a way that is not distracting. If it's your first time, this is not normally how I start messages, so (laughs) I apologize. But it is where we are. And while we've got questions like, man, why would God allow a surprise baby that is not gonna live past maybe hours or days, we know God is sovereign in all the pain that we experience in any of our lives. He has a plan for, and He is at work. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know that God is at work even in the hardest and most broken of scenarios and that he is good and that we can trust him. So I'm gonna pray and then we'll look at Jonah chapter three. Father, I do pray for a miracle for my daughter. I pray that you would allow her to live. And I also pray that however many days or whatever, Amount, and whatever story you write, you would use in unbelievable ways for your glory. Father, I pray for anyone here who's also walking through the valley of the shadow of death or through challenging times you would use this morning. I pray against uh, just the distractions. God, I pray that you would help me. I seek to communicate. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Jonah chapter 3. And pray us in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to dive in and we're going to look at the story. This comes from Jonah chapter 3, starting verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, your days are numbered. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Something interesting happened. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which is an expression of mourning. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink, but let... People and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. He did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Now, if you're just joining us, we have been journeying through Jonah and we've looked at chapter one and chapter two. In chapter one, we're told that God shows up and says, Jonah, I have a mission for you. Jonah was a prophet in 750 BC and he says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, and I want you to proclaim a message on my behalf. Jonah says, well, that's one option and I don't know that. I love that option. Decides, I'm going to get on a boat headed for Spain. It's Spain sounds nice, running in the bulls, I'm going to head that direction. And God interrupts his disobedience to him and causes a storm. And the storm leads to Jonah being thrown off the boat because the sailors are confused what's causing the storm and they throw him into the water and God causes a giant fish to swallow Jonah. And most people when they think of Jonah, they think of the big fish, but the fish is really not that important or significant component of the story. The, The fish is simply a means of transportation, as I said in week one. The fish is the first original Uber that God just picks him up and takes him to the destination of Nineveh. That I'm not going to let you escape from the will that I have for your life. And Jonah in the belly of that fish cries out to God, prays, God, will you rescue me? And God rescues him and he spit up on dry land. Now, as you would imagine, after three days in the belly of a whale, Jonah's got to be disfigured. I mean, that much stomach acid would lead to his skin being bleached, his hair all being gone. So now he's a bleached skinned man, hairless man, showing up to the city of Nineveh to go proclaim the message. Now you may be wondering why would Jonah not be willing to go teach to Nineveh or go to Nineveh in the first place? Like what would cause him to flee and not listen to God? Well, Nineveh is in modern day Iraq. In fact, these Ninevites were known as some of the most cruel barbaric people in all of human history. They were experts at skinning people alive the Romans would perfect crucifixion, but it was the Assyrians who invented crucifixion. They were some of the most barbaric people on earth. In fact, it would be akin, as I said in week one, to God showing up to you and says, hey, I have a mission trip planned for your life. I want you to get on a plane. I want you to fly to Iraq or to Iran or to the Middle East. I want you to get all of ISIS together or all of Hamas together and I want you to tell them that Allah is a false God. Muhammad is not his prophet. Jesus is the only way and invite them to accept Christ right there. Hold an altar call for ISIS. My guess is your response would probably be, yeah, I'm not going to do that because that's a death sentence and that was Jonah's response or thought. But after his exchange. And after crying out to God, it says that God shows up a second time and he calls him And this time, Jonah obeys. First thing that we see related to the heart of God, which is really what I want to point out, the type of person God uses, how God uses people often and what God's heart is for people. But the first thing that we see in the story of Jonah is in verse one of chapter three, where it says the, the word of the Lord came a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. It's eerily similar to the very first verses in the entire book, where it says he came to Jonah and Jonah said no, but this time, it says he comes a second time. Despite Jonah's disobedience, God comes back and says, I'm not done with you and I haven't given up on you. He could have easily said, I'm gonna let the fish, you're gonna be fish food, you're gonna be reverse sushi. Not like you know, humans eating raw fish, fish eating raw human, that's gonna be your story for the rest of your life. In a second, some of you guys will connect what I just meant by that, but (laughs) I've got other plans, and it says, he came a second time. God is a God of second chances. First thing that we see is God uses broken people. He did then, he does now. The reality is the reason God uses broken people is because that's the only type of people that there are. And God is a God who can rewrite any story. He's a God of second chances, third chances. Whatever link that you feel like your marriage is at, your dating, dysfunctional dating patterns have been at, whatever your story is, however far you have drifted from God, He's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. And we see that He not only is a God of second chances, He's a God who delights to use broken people. Wherever you're at in your journey, if you feel like you're too far from being someone that God can use. You have bought a lie. And even in the dysfunctional disobedience of Jonah, we see that God is a God of second chances. He even uses Jonah's disobedient past, which is when he disobeyed God and he ran and he got swallowed by a fish, as a means by which he would unleash revival in the city of Nineveh. Why do I say that? Well, Jonah, like I mentioned, would have been bleached. He would have been thrown up in front of Nineveh onto dry land by a fish. And it just so happened, that the very people he was going to minister and proclaim a message to had a very peculiar deity that they worshiped. They worshiped a God whose name was Dagon. You know what Dagon, the primary deity that the Ninevites worshiped looked like? It looked like this, a fish man. All of a sudden, a fishman shows up to proclaim a message from God. That even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, God was at work and was using, despite his past, It wouldn't be a problem for God to reach people. And the same is true with you, that your past, whatever it is, is not a problem for God's grace. It can be a platform for it if you choose to let him. But God over and over rewrites stories. Some of the most incredible ministers to women in our body are women as it relates to the issue or people who have battled with or made the decision to have an abortion. Some of the best ministers to women that are in that scenario or have made that decision are other women who have walked through and experienced the pain of that and also experienced God's grace. That God rewrites stories. He takes porn addicts and makes them pastors over and over and over. Our staff is filled with people who God is at work rewriting their stories, myself very much included. That God's undeserved grace comes into someone's life when they surrender to him. So whatever, whatever, however far you feel like your marriage is right now, However, on the fringes and threaded and holding on by a single thread you feel, you are an incredible candidate for God to raise up, despite wherever it is right now, an amazing marriage that becomes a marriage ministry around you. It's what he does over and over. He raises things back to life. He's a God who resurrects. He's a God of second chances. And he's a God who uses broken people. He's a God who rewrites stories. In the 1800s, there was a gentleman named Alfred Nobel. Anyone heard of Alfred Nobel? You're probably familiar with something called the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, the reason that we have the Nobel Peace Prize is because of Alfred Nobel. But it may not be for the reason that you would assume. Alfred Nobel was a French scientist in the 1800s, 1880s. He invented something called dynamite. And dynamite at the time was the most deadly weapon that was known to man in the 1800s. And this invention was incredibly successful and had lots of different uses and it it amassed a fortune for him. He became incredibly wealthy, hundreds of millions of dollars, 1800s. And one day he woke up and he went to go get the newspaper and he pulled out the French newspaper and he read something very interesting. It said this, it said Alfred Nobel, the merchant of death, the man who got rich off of finding ways to kill people has died. Now, that's an eerie thing to read if you're alive. He was confronted with his own obituary. Turns out the newspaper had made a mistake, and it wasn't Alfred who had died. His brother, Ludwig, had died. And he read what he now knew his legacy would be confronted with the fact that, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be known as the person who led to the deaths of so many people, I wanna change my legacy. So he took all of his fortune, all of the millions and millions of dollars, and he decided I'm going to create something called the Nobel Peace Prize Foundation. And I'm gonna give the award every year to the person who contributes to our world, the cause for greatest peace and good for humanity. Today, most of us in the room don't even know Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. We think of Nobel and we associate with the Nobel Peace Prize as that given to whatever person does the best for our world on any given year, because Alfred Nobel through money rewrote his story. God is a God who can do exceedingly beyond what money could do in rewriting whatever story that you're in. And many of us are in a place where, man, you're good with God and things are great, but for whoever in the room needs to hear that God is a God of second chances, however far you feel, how dark it has gotten, he's not done. And you have the decision and option to surrender to him like Jonah did. Say, I, I'm gonna choose to obey you. It's your God of second, third, fourth chances. Jonah made the decision that he, he would and he turned. The second thing that we see comes from the verses after it, where it says, Nineveh was a very large city. Took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. It's a three-day journey through the city. If you're going to go from one side to the next, it takes three days. Jonah went one day in, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days is all that you have left, Nineveh. And then something really interesting happens when he goes and shares the message God had called him to go share. It says these treacherous, barbaric, evil people, they believed God. Not that they believed Jonah. Not that they believed in changing themselves. It says they believed or trusted God. A fast was proclaimed for all of them from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth, Sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth that long before people started dressing up their dogs in sweaters, the Ninevites were dressing their animals in sackcloth. But we see the greatest revival in human history take place says, the king says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and all of their violence. Everything evil that we've been doing, let us give it all up and turn from those things. All in response to Jonah sharing a very simple message. Second thing that we see that's a parallel to really how God works today is God uses people who share his message. God uses people who share his message. For Jonah, it was a very simple one. For us, it's as believers in Christ, it's the gospel. Jonah leads the greatest revival, arguably, in human history. With a very simple, ordinary message, and uh, in some ways, a half-hearted effort. He goes one day into a three-day city. One day's journey into a three-day journey city, and he proclaims, 40 more days and it's over, and God turns the entire city around. He leads the greatest revival, scholars have said, that we've ever seen, the world has ever seen, where everyone from the greatest to the least repents and they believe in God. We see some interesting parallels in his message. What do we see? He confronted them with the truth. Just like we are called to confront people in our life and our world around us with the truth of the gospel, even if it's uncomfortable. He confronts them with the truth and it leads to action on their behalf. It's interesting how... Sometimes strong truth can lead people to move and to act. They've done studies on something called coastal evacuation in, uh, in hurricanes or in tsunamis and specifically studied how do we get people to leave So whether it's in Florida or whether it's in Houston or whether it's in different places where there's a hurricane coming, what's the most effective way to save lives by getting people to leave? And they've studied all numerous, lots of different ways. They've studied how effective is it if a family member calls them? How effective is it if a local official knocks on the door of the house and says, hey, you've got to evacuate. This is a a class five or a significant storm that is headed our way. What's the most effective way to get somebody to leave? Do you know what the most effective way is? You drop off toe tags. Show up at the house and you say, great, Mr. Smith, I understand, you don't wanna leave, that's great. Hey, here's a toe tag, we make sure to write out your name and information and put this on your toe so that we know when your body's floating on the water by us, we at least can identify and get to the next of kin who you are. All of a sudden you see a dramatic spike in people being like, Beverly, get the bags, we're headed out of here. Because they've been confronted with a hard truth that leads to action. And as believers, God still uses people who share his message today in a very similar way that we're called to share hard truths with people around us who may not believe the same as we do. Hard truths like there is only one way to have eternal life. And that's through Jesus Christ and trusting and accepting him as your savior, the payment for your sin on that cross. No amount of good things that you do, no amount of church or giving or generosity that you display will earn you a relationship with God. Truths like... There's no such thing as good people. There's sinners. There's only one good person. His name was Jesus. And all the other not good people were so bad that they killed the one good guy. And we're called to share with the world around us. There is only one way. Life is numbered for all of our days. Every person in this room and every person that you will interact with this week, at one point, if Jesus doesn't come back, we'll stop breathing. And apart from having a relationship and accepting Christ as their savior, We'll spend eternity apart from God. And God uses people who share the message of Christ. The good news for us is unlike Jonah's story where his message was, was pretty depressing. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, not the world's most impressive sermon. Our news is not just bad news that hey, you're gonna die. There's only one way to God. But good news, that Christ has made the payment given his own life for anyone who will simply accept him as their Lord, their savior, their payment on that cross, he paid for their sin. It's an amazing message. I remember one time I was on uh, a trip with some friends and we were at a restaurant and this was in outside of uh, Cancun, which is random and not really important to the story, but there you go. And we were at a restaurant and we were eating. And I remember I was, I was engaging with the waitress and sharing the gospel. She spoke great English and I was just sharing, Hey, do you know what the central message of the Bible is in Christianity? And she, had been raised Catholic, she kind of understood it. And, and I walked through that it's not about, hey, how much you do or good things that you do. It's, it's about trusting in Jesus as the payment for your sin, that God loves you so much. And you know what? I think that he sent us to this restaurant and had you be our waitress so that we could tell you there's a God who hasn't forgotten you, who loves you, who gave his life for you. And the only way anyone can have eternal life is by accepting him as their payment for their sin, him as their Lord and their savior. And I remember it's so funny. She literally responded with, oh man, that is great news. It was like, you have no idea how accurate that is. It is great news. And God still uses people who go and who share the message of the gospel. What does that look like for you this week? I don't know. There's a lot of different scenarios. Sometimes, I mean, just to make sure it didn't come across like uh, holier than now or perfect pastor, there's a lot of times that I'm, thinking, how do I, how do I get to the gospel in this conversation? I had a haircut like three days ago and I'm talking to the lady and and trying to think through, uh, you know, she's telling me about the Philadelphia Eagles and I'm trying to work a bridge to like, you know, you know who the eagle of my life is or what's a way to connect, you know, raise them up like roaring, man, I just can't get there. And so I'm not saying that every conversation needs to be, you know, with Bill at the water cooler, like Man, this water is cold. You know what's not cold? Hell. Have you ever <laughs> But I am saying that God uses people who share the message in the gospel. And he's called you to share the gospel with the people in your life and the people around you. And to have eyes to look and to connect through and share. Finally, we see most strikingly something about God in this passage. It's really the heart of the message. And we're going to unpack this more in depth next week. But the entire book of Jonah The king is declaring to the people, maybe God will allow us to live. And he says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, Spain. I knew that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents, from sending calamity. Jonah, we discover, and again, we'll unpack more fully next week. The reason he didn't wanna go to Nineveh was not because his fear of them killing him, but his fear of God saving them. Why? Because he knew who God was. It's really interesting that we'll dive in to more in depth next week. But he knew that God is a God who has a heart for all people. It says, I knew you were a God who's compassionate and gracious, that God's heart is for all people, that Jonah knew that this is exactly what would happen, that God, his reflexive response to humanity that returns and repents to him is mercy. God's knee-jerk response to humanity. If you've been in the room and, and you're running and you've had a season or maybe you've had years, maybe you're decades, maybe you're listening online or at a later date and you have been running from God, here's what you need to hear about God and God's heart. When you turn to him, when you look in God's direction, his re-jerk reflexive response is mercy. It's a God who loves to display mercy, desires that all people would repent and come to know Him. It flows out of His character. It's His reflex, His mercy. And God's heart is for all people. And in, in Luke chapter 15, we, uh, like a month ago, talked a little bit about it, but there's this amazing story of uh, it's called a prodigal son. Basically, the story Jesus gives is there's this younger brother who basically says, dad, I wish you were dead. Can I just have my inheritance? And the dad gives him the inheritance. Dad doesn't say, okay, now you're dead. He gives him the money and the son runs off and he spends all the money on prostitutes. And it's literally in Luke chapter 15, he spends it all on himself and uh, reckless living. And he gets to the end of himself and he finds himself as a Jewish boy working and feeding pigs, which was the lowest of the low job that you could do. And he finds himself thinking, I should go back to my father. You know, he's got a lot of uh, land and money. Maybe I could just be a servant on that land. And it says that he begins walking back home and he's preparing a speech of how, Father, I've sinned against you. And Jesus says in the story that the father is on the front porch. And when the son was a long way off, He looks in his direction and has compassion for him. When you run from God, if you're running from God, do you know what he feels when you look in his direction? Compassion, love, desire for you to experience mercy because God's heart is for all people. We see, uh, side note, that despite Jonah's prophecy of 40 days and you will be overthrown, you may think, well, that didn't happen. Well, the word for overthrown is a very interesting one in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word hippoch. And it's a word that can either mean destroyed or demolished or turned around. That the prophecy came true, 40 more days and Nineveh will be turned around. They will do what we in English call repent. The God didn't destroy it from the outside. He overturned it from the inside with mercy because he's a God who desires to show mercy. What's so fascinating historically speaking about this text is you read it and you're like, man, that's insane. Like, it can almost make you go, hey, is that true? Did, did this actually really happen? Well, side note, the reason part we know that it happened is because Jesus said that it happened. Over and over, he referred to Nineveh, he referred to Jonah. And so if you're skeptical of the story of Jonah, I mean, you would be disagreeing with Jesus. And I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but if somebody can die and come back alive, I just go with whatever they say. So if Jesus believed it, I'm all in. Jonah's real. Historically speaking, though, some very interesting things happened right around the time. I mean, right around the time that we know Jonah lived in Nineveh. There was an entire or total solar eclipse that took place right around the days that Jonah, around the era that Jonah would have been ministering that could have contributed to why there was such a dramatic response of the city of everyone turned back to God. On June 15th, 763 BC, there was a total solar eclipse as in this entire sun in the middle of the day was blocked out. Last weekend, uh, some of you may know we had a partial solar eclipse where you could kind of see a ring. This was not that. This was an entire solar eclipse. Happened June 15th, 763, right around the time that Jonah was a prophet to Nineveh. Perhaps God was at work behind the scenes as we know he always is preparing the people's hearts. In fact, there's Ninevite or there's literature from Assyrians saying that the sun being blotted out means this, the sun being blotted out means the king will be disposed and killed. A worthless fellow from another kingdom will seize his throne, rain from heaven, will flood the land, the city walls will be destroyed. That's how they would have interpreted a total solar eclipse. Perhaps God was at work and shortly before Jonah would show up and declare this message, the people, were hungry because God had been at work in their hearts. They were open to turning to God. The same is true today. God is still at work preparing hearts and working in the lives of coworkers around you, people who are walking through challenging seasons around you, people who you think would have no interest in ever having a relationship with God or even hearing about your faith, that God is at work preparing people's hearts because God has a heart for all people. God has a heart for every person that you and I work with. God has a heart for all people to come into a relationship with him. Tomorrow when you go to work, who knows what God has been doing and how God has been preparing through whatever situations people are walking through, the hearts and the receptiveness to hear the truth of God's love for them in Christ. We're told in a letter that Peter 700 years later would write called 2 Peter chapter three, or 2 Peter, where in some of the last words that the apostle Peter would ever write, Peter speaks about God and it's consistent with this idea of his heart for all people. And he's talking in reference to people questioning, hey, when is God gonna return? When is he gonna return? Is he ever gonna return? And he says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God allows the brokenness of our world to continue for the horrific things that took place all across the world today, whether we saw them on TV or not, for the catastrophic events that took place on October 7th in Israel, and the catastrophic things that will take place today. And he allows all of that brokenness, not because he's apathetic, because he wants to spare as many as possible from eternal death and separation. And he allows today all of the heartbreak that all of us will walk through in our world for us to have the opportunity to share the gospel with a world that is incredibly broken. Because his heart is that as many as possible would come to know him. He's extended a pardon to anyone who will simply accept it. But he will not force that pardon, eternal pardon, on any person. You can choose to reject it. In our world, there's something called a presidential pardon. It's a very interesting form of presidential power. It gives the president the ability to extend pardon and to wipe away the guilt and the sentence of anyone who's had it. In fact, in in history, there's only one occasion, and it's a very odd occasion, As you would expect, there would almost be no occasions where anyone has rejected a presidential pardon. Happened in 1829. It was a guy named George Wilson. He was a man who killed a uh, news, I'm sorry, not a news, a mailman. Basically, for whatever reason, he decided and he murdered a mailman. He was caught, he was convicted, and he was sentenced to death. Now, good news for George Wilson is he had friends in high places and his friends asked President Andrew Jackson to extend a pardon to him. He extended the pardon, and Wilson refused to accept it, seeing it as an admission of guilt. The authorities didn't know what to do. What do you do with somebody who's been given a presidential pardon and yet says, I don't want the pardon? What do we do? The court ended up not being able to decide, and the issue went all the way to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court ruled, the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he accepts it. It is a grant to him he may accept or not as he pleases. Chief Justice Marshall wrote, A pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. The delivery is not complete without its acceptance. And maybe then be rejected by the person to whom it is given. We have no power to force it on them. They rule that we can't force somebody to accept a pardon. And God will not force anyone to accept a pardon. But we have the amazing privilege of going to a world and reminding or proclaiming to them, there is a God who extended an eternal divine pardon for anyone who will simply accept it, not for people who will work hard for it, not for people who do a bunch of good things, not for people who pray a certain amount, not for people who know enough Bible, not for people who attend church X number of times, but for anyone who will simply accept it. But he will not force that pardon. And the choice is every person's out there. But as crazy as it is for someone to reject a presidential pardon, so crazy it should sound for somebody to say, no, I'm choosing not to accept that. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ. You've never recognized I'm a sinner. I'm saved solely by what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm choosing not to trust in how good I am or to trust in how bad of a person I am. Because that's the same thing. If you believe, man, I'm too bad for God to love me. That's the same as believing I'm I'm so good, God will love me. Both of those are based on what you do. The Bible doesn't say, whosoever behaves shall have eternal life. It says whosoever believes. And today you have the offer from God to receive a divine, eternal pardon. It's been given to you. I don't know what the worst day and worst decision of your life was, but I know what can be the best day and best decision of your life. And it's making that decision to accept that. To the rest of us, we have the amazing privilege to go share that message to a world, the heart of God, a God of mercy. My daughter, we named her years ago. We were pregnant with our third, my son, or one of my sons. We thought we were for sure having a girl. I don't even know why, honestly. We never talked about boy names. We thought for sure this is a girl and we picked out the name Lottie Moon Marvin. And then we had a boy and we were like, oh, we need a name. But then we got pregnant again and we thought, man, maybe God really did want Lottie Moon Marvin. In part, we named her that because of the great missionary who helped bring Jesus to China. And Lottie Moon is one of the most influential missionaries the world ever saw for Jesus. And we hope that she would follow in her namesake in that sense, living a life that shares the message of Jesus. I don't know that she will ever get to do that. In fact, odds are she won't ever get to share Jesus. But you do, and I do. We get the privilege of sharing to a world that's full of great darkness, great light, and great love of our God. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.